Welcome to the Not Your Average My podcast, where four Hmong American women working to move our community forward one conversation at a time. So tune in every month with Liz, Mania, Monica, and Katie as we dive into politics, pop culture, and all things related to being Hmong American. Let's get it! Well, happy spring, everyone. Welcome back. Um, We know it's been a long time since we've been on here, so we really appreciate everyone's patience. It's been a really busy start of the year for us and our team with a lot going on in our personal lives. Um, But this episode is special because we have a really, really special guest with us today to help us get hyped for APAM month, um, or this month. Today, we are actually um, joined by the very, very cool Philippe Tao. Um, he is here to talk about what it's like to be in a not-your-average career as a Hmong American in the media, news, entertainment industry. Uh, Philippe has done work with Netflix. He's written pieces for the Washington Post. Um, he's had pieces appear in Teen Vogue and so much more. Yeah. He's already much cooler than uh, all of us combined when we were his age. So um, we're super excited to have him here <clears throat> and really just uh, share his story and his journey with us. All right, Philippe, let's get started from the beginning. <laughs> what is your personal story and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So, oh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I went to college in Chicago at DePaul University for uh, public relations and advertising. And so at that time, I thought that I wanted to like work for an ad agency. And like, I didn't know, I didn't exactly know where I wanted to go career wise. But um, my last couple of years in college, I took some like media studies classes. And basically, we like would watch like pop music videos and then like talk about them and how they like intersected with culture. And I think those classes kind of like made me realize that, you know, I've always loved pop culture growing up, but like, I'm like, Oh, you can actually like do more with this and like write about it. And um, even though I didn't like study that in college specifically, I think taking those couple of classes kind of like illuminated me into realizing that that was more of what I wanted to do versus advertising. But I'm like, I'm paying, a, I'm already paying this tuition. So I'm just going to finish my degree and then figure it out afterwards. Um, and so after I graduated, I was a copywriter at Crate and Barrel, which is like a furniture company. Why? And so I basically. <laughs> Did you get a really good discount? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> it was a uh, three, it was 30, 30%, but like <laughs> it's expensive like too. And, yeah. So even with yeah. the discount, I was like, I could not afford this. Um, just Wait, like the small did- stuff. Did your discount work at their like outlet? Because you know, also yeah. right. Yeah, so it was like outlet. It was at CB two. Um, so it was like it was fun, but it was like it was funny because I was you know like you're broke like graduate living in. Yes. I was living in an empty apartment. I had no furniture, and I was like selling furniture. <laughs> that is um, funny. Yeah, so I was like writing like you know like those emails that you get when you like subscribe to like a brand like those really annoying emails. Yeah, so I was a copywriter writing those brand emails for Crate and Barrel. Um, so I did that for like a year and a half or two years and a half. And that was fine. I think it kind of helped me like, like put my degree to use, but also it kind of helped me like write better. Um, mm-hmm. And so like I was doing that nine to five, but on the side, I was also just like freelance writing, like for like publications. Um, and so that kind of like helped me 
like explore my more like creative writing and do like writing that I enjoyed um, versus writing about furniture. Um, and then to like kind of backtrack, like right before I graduated college, I applied for a staff writing job at Vulture, which is a pop culture news website. It's owned by New York Magazine. And um, I didn't get the job, but I got to the final round. And the editor at the time who interviewed me, she uh, ended up moving over to Netflix um, last year. And so um, this was like back in August. And I got this LinkedIn message from um, someone at Netflix. And they were like, hey, like this editor, like, wanted to work with you. Like, I don't know if you're looking for a job right now, but we're like building this new project and we would like to have you on board. Um, and at first I thought it was like a scam. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, this seems like too good to be true, but um, Great. I like, in, I like chatted with them and that's how I ended up over at Netflix. So yeah. Give you the, the spell. Amazing. <laughs> that's so awesome. Can you share a little bit about what you do at Netflix? Yeah. So Back in December, we launched this companion website to Netflix called To Doom, T-U-D-U-M. And basically that's like, you know, when you turn on Netflix, there's like that, like that, like drum sound. Yeah. Um, that's basically what it is. Yep. Um, oh. And so I kind of describe it as like, like DVD bonus features for Netflix. So like when you watch a show or a movie and you want to know more about it or just like, like have like read like cast interviews or like behind the scenes footage. Um, we kind of provide all of that. And so, so what I do personally is I like, I'll like interview like Netflix cast members. Um, I, every week I'll write up like a list of recommendations that people should watch for the weekend. Um, <laughs> any like trailer drops or like any news that's relevant to Netflix. That's basically what I do. That is <laughs> yeah. so that's awesome. So cool. Yeah. Was there like uh, a certain uh, group of like shows that you, you say like to, or like, would you get yeah. to interview like the Korean people who have been on the recent? <laughs> <laughs> like, so really? actually, <laughs> so, um, I, so we have, we have like a, we have a few people, some of my colleagues who specialize in like K dramas cause they're like wow. more well-versed in that. So they, they interview them. Um, yeah. So basically my colleagues, like we're kind of like put into teams based on your interest around like genres. But for me, like, I specialize in like recommendations. And so, um, so I watch everything. Uh, and then when it comes to Friday, I'll write like, I'll pick like the four, four like shows or movies that you should watch. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like, I'm not kind of like, I'm not siloed within a genre. I just like watch everything and then tell you what you should watch. <laughs> that sounds like a dream job that where you so get cool. paid to watch Netflix and you're Literally. telling people about it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is fun. Um, but like the funny thing is I have a very bad attention span. And so uh, when I got my job, I'm like, okay, I actually have to like pay attention. I can't fall asleep. Um, so sometimes I'll have like Google Docs open and I can take notes <laughs> when I watch. Oh my gosh, that is such a cool job. I yeah. okay, so before we get to serious questions later on, I really I really just want to know like what what what's been the coolest thing that you've experienced as part of your job at Netflix? Honestly, I love interviewing people. Um, I think I'm outgoing, but I'm also like very introverted. Um, and so I think like when I interview like celebrities or like cast members, it's kind of helped me like come out of my shell more. And like I've had to be like, they're just people like me. Like I don't need to be like starstruck. I don't need to like, I don't know. I think it's just helped me like be more outgoing. And so I think that's been my favorite job of just like interviewing people and learning more about 
like what they do. Yeah. That's okay. I love that. That's so Can you drop some hints of like who you interview? (laughs) 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 Or the celebrities. There's a reality show on Netflix called Selling Sunset. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So like, you know, it's about like these like real estate agents in Los Angeles who like sell mansions. Um, And I I love that show even before I worked on Netflix. And so um, (laughs) last week I did an interview with one of them um since their new season is coming out on friday but um yeah i don't know i think i don't interview like the the super big stars i leave that to my colleagues because i'm like (laughs) because i think like i never worked a job in this field before and so i'm like you know what like i'll like work my way up to to that level but um yeah it's been fun that is so cool that yeah. is great. I just had a quick technical questions. Have you are you doing your interviews, you know, virtual like we're doing right now, or do you yeah. do them in person, or have you done any in person? No, they're all virtual. Um, okay. But I think like the way the industry goes, you know, like before the pandemic, they would go to like red carpets or like do press junkets in person. So hopefully one day I'll get to do that. But it's also hard, like because I'm in Minnesota and you know, like the entertainment industry is in LA. So. Um, right. Sometimes, like, my colleagues will go to, like, they went to, like, a red carpet for Bridgerton a few weeks ago. Oh, um, no. Yeah, so they get to do the fun stuff. I'm like, one day I'll <laughs> I'll be out there. <laughs> okay, yes. so, so pivoting. I mean, I don't know. We kind of, like, just went into the conversation. But did want to know, like, would you move to L.A.? And what does that look like? And then now that you are, you know, watching Netflix for work, like, does that kind of, like, take away the fun and just, like, flexing and chilling? Yeah. So I went to L.A. Uh, when we launched in the summer, and that was really fun, just, like, being where everything happens. Um, but, uh, I, like I said, I just moved back to Minnesota a year and a half ago. And I think, like, I've really enjoyed, like, being with family, um, mm-hmm. reconnecting with Hmong culture. And so um, I don't think I'm in a rush to move yet. I think I realize like sometimes you're like always on the go and thinking of what's uh, next. And I think this is the first time in my adult life where I'm like, I don't know, I can, I'm like content. I'm like, I can just work from home, be here. And LA will always be there if I ever want to move out there. And I think it's been nice for me too, because, you know, like, being in Minnesota, like, um, I can just like when I'm done working, I can just like switch it off and like go hang out with my friends or go hang out with my cousins and not have to live and breathe entertainment. But I feel like in LA, that's like the whole industry. And so like everyone there is always like when they go out after work, like it's always like a networking opportunity and that's not really my vibe. And so um yeah, and then the second question, um, yeah, sometimes it does it does ruin like watching TV for me. Like on the weekends, my boundary is I don't watch Netflix on the weekends. Um and I just like let myself watch whatever I want. But um because I am watching Netflix literally every day, nine to five, um, I yeah, I think I've had to like have I've had to like implement boundaries where um instead of watching TV, I'll just like go out with friends or like go outside for a walk. Um but it is it is a, it is a fun part of the job. But I think like I just don't want to be a couch potato and like you know do that. One when more. I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. One more question about Netflix. Since you probably see a lot of these shows ahead of time, mm-hmm. do any of your like friends and family ask you questions, or are there like certain things where you want to share but you can't and you just got to hold it in? How yeah. is that? 
Yeah, so yeah, so like I was saying, I'm bad with secrets, and so um, I watch I watch everything ahead of time, like the screeners, and sometimes I'm just like, I need someone to talk about this with, but I can't talk about it at all. And then when it does come out, like my friends will always just ask me, like, like what's the tea or like what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, it is it is fun like watching everything ahead of time, but. I'm just I like, was going to say, how did you do that with Love is Blind season two? Because uh, we had to wait for like a week or so before we could see uh, the reunion. And I'm like, okay. oh my gosh, I just yeah, couldn't nah. wait to see. So how did you even hold that in? <laughs> so me and my co actually, so with Love is Blind, me and my coworkers would always watch it like at the same time and yeah. just slack each other. Um, and we watched, so we watched the reunion a couple of days after they filmed it when they hadn't like edited everything yet. And that was messy. And we were just like, slap each other about it. And we're like, you know what? Like, so like part of the job too is like, when you watch things ahead of time, you have to like predict what people are going to talk about. Um, And so when we like watch it and slack each other, we're like, this might be like a big thing on social media. This might be like a meme. This might be controversial. Um, So it's always fun kind of like being ahead of the conversation and thinking, anticipating what people are going to talk about so when it was love is blind it was very messy so we were like everyone's gonna talk about this <laughs> <laughs> so i guess it was messier unedited compared yeah. to like what we saw as as viewers and yeah <laughs> wow yeah. not surprised okay, sorry um, so many questions um when you do watch like and i know you you part of your job is to, like give reviews give recommendations like what if you come across something that like you just absolutely are like this is trash it's not worth my time or anyone's yeah. time like can you be honest or you know yeah, are you like so, pro netflix only <laughs> so yeah so that's the interesting thing it's like um so like we are a news and entertainment site but because we are owned by netflix and we're writing about our own content it's technically like still marketing as well right so we can't right. like re- we can't like technically review our content or like trash it and so um so like for me like if i want to like be taken seriously as a writer i'm like not gonna write about something i don't like um and so yeah so i always try to like Mm -hmm. and you know netflix has a lot of content not all of it is the best um yeah (laughs) and so like part of my process is i watch as much as i can and then decide what is worth promoting what's worth like recommending um but yeah, I do sit through some stuff that um, I don't usually enjoy, but uh, that's just part of the job. So that's yeah, fair. I mean, that's such my- good advice, though. Sorry, go ahead, Liz. Like, I, I but that note that you said about if you want to be a good writer, you want to write about good things, or you want to write positively. Um, yeah. Anyway, so kudos to that. Go ahead, Liz. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's a very fair way to think about it, right? I mean, understanding that um, Netflix did this because, like. Mm-hmm. You, you want people to write about your content. Um, but something you said made me think about how, um, you know, when you guys are reviewing these things ahead of time, like you guys are kind of like cultural gatekeepers, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, the Love is Vine piece is actually very appropriate because that kind of became like a really nice like, oh, like this is how real Asian parents, um, you know, actually like love their children. And like, mm-hmm. this is like, um, you know, this is what an actual Asian family looks like, right? And in Asian family relations. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess for me, like, I'm kind of curious um, if you can tell us a little bit more about um, 
this like job as a gatekeeper, right? Like, yeah. and also uh, maybe talk about how, um, you know, it, it may be important or it may not be to you to be um, a, a writer of color, um, an, an Asian writer, um, because you are like kind of controlling what goes out there. And um, right, like your editors hired you because they thought that you had good taste and you're a good writer, but also like have a good perspective on things, right? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like the cult, like the cultural gatekeeper thing is interesting because it's like, because we do review or we watch everything ahead of time, and we do like, as I was saying, like anticipate what people are going to talk about or what should be talked about, right? I think for me, like I've always loved pop culture growing up, like, um, and so it's it's nice to kind of like be in that realm. But I think one thing that my editor slacked me last week that I really appreciated was um, she was like, I really love that you, when you recommend things, you're not just recommending like um, American things or like English speaking titles. Like you like go out of your way to like recommend like things from other countries. And that's the thing about Netflix. Like there's so much stuff, but also it's a global company. There's so much great content from like other countries that people don't watch when you're living in america because you only like you know you read american news you only like see what people are writing about here um and so when i got the job part of my um goal was like you know like as a person of color um and like you know being Hmong too like people don't know about Hmong people right and so i'm like having that experience of coming from a group where it's not always talked about in like mainstream media i'm like i'm gonna make it my goal to like highlight like shows and movies from other countries or other cultures that people might not be aware of. Um, and so every week when I write my column where I recommend things, I always try to have like at least half of it being from other countries. I think it's been fun for me too, because like, honestly, before I worked at Netflix, I didn't really watch other than K dramas. I didn't really watch like things from other countries. And so it's been really good for me too to like kind of branch out and watch stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, that was like a big goal of mine when I got my job where I'm like, I'm not just going to recommend things from here. I'm going to like, you know, highlight other, other titles and other cultures. Um, so I think, yeah, so that's been like a really fun part of the job too for me. And hopefully people like take those recommendations and like watch other things too. But um, yeah. That's an amazing rule though. I, I love that. And and I hope that like more people will think about that, you know, when, when they are in positions of power like that. Um, two plugs. Um, maybe if Netflix could open up more international offerings because, um, sometimes, right. Like I have Netflix on my phone or my computer. And when I travel internationally, I get to see so many more different titles. And so some of my favorite Thai dramas are available in Asian countries, but they're not available here. Right. Um, That's the thing. And like, I didn't know that until I worked at Netflix where it's like, I think part of it is like the licensing. Like they only have certain titles in other countries that you can't watch here. But yeah, it, it does limit too. Yeah. Do you feel like your perception of media, news, entertainment has changed at all? Like once you got your job at Netflix, like what was that perception before and how has it changed? And yeah, and so like in a good way or not? Before I worked at this job, I always viewed like media and pop culture and entertainment as like, like on another level where it's like, yeah. there's like gatekeepers and like, we're all just spectators in it. Right. And I think being on that other side, it's like, like, I think that's how people view it on the other, but I think I'm like, like pop culture is like, it can be dumb. It can be like a guilty pleasure, but it can also be smart. And 
I think after working in it, I'm like, there's no such thing as guilty pleasure. You like what you like, right? There's always like some value in whatever you watch, whether it's a reality show or whether it's like an Oscar award-winning movie, right? Yeah. Um, I've been here almost a year and I think I, I view media and pop culture as almost like, yeah, like there's always value in something. Also, you have to meet people where they are. Not everyone's going to want to watch like a three-hour French film, right? Um, and also not everyone's going to watch like like a trashy reality show but like but like viewers are smart they know what they like um and so i think part of it too is like you can never like look down on people for what they like or what they watch and i think that's like giving me value and thinking of like pop culture it's like you're not just like writing or creating content for like the elite or people who like like went to an ivy league school right like you can write about stuff for people who like live in rural america who like don't have a college education but they like they're still smart they still know what they like they still get value from what they watch and so i think that's like a and i think like when people think of pop culture they don't think about those aspects mm -hmm. but like like for me like i think so much about that and so um yeah and i think having worked at netflix i think that's kind of given me that like level of insight into that that's such a different perspective and it's so reflective and I say that because like even with the term guilty pleasure, I stopped using that after listening to Mindy Kelly talk about like how men don't use that term to describe mm -hmm. their, you know, like what they watch or consume, right? Like they will watch football, they will, you know, watch whatever shows they want, but they don't consider that guilty pleasures. But when it comes to women, we often use that to describe the shows that we watch. So anyway, that is just to say It's so like, gendered. Yes, it is so gender, and I, I just love this perspective that you have about like people consume what their their interests and what their passions are, and that doesn't mean that it's like one category or not, like trashy or not, right? So mm. anyway, I thought yeah. that was really great, and like, and that's what I think about too, right? Like when I write about like rom coms or like reality shows that the demographic are women, right? Like I'm like. I'm not going to try, I'm like, I'll tailor it to whoever is reading it, but I'm not going to be like, this is a guilty pleasure. You have to like binge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. This might be a little nerdy, but um, <laughs> when you, when you talk about like pop culture, um, I'm curious, like why, you know, we have to have like that adjective, like pop culture, like what's the difference between pop culture and like culture. Right. And yeah. like, what does it mean when we're like, Oh, they're cultured. Right. Because maybe yeah. like, um, I mean, oh, so like you have a show like like Bridgerton, very popular, um, right? But the culture that they're showing, right, is is like you know culture that like we would I think say oh like you know hard art is cultured, right? Or like mm -hmm. if you listen to like classical music, that's culture. And so, can you talk a little bit more about that? We're we're not equipped to talk about that. No. <laughs> I can like I... green the, the you know like the the top, but. Um, I'm always really curious why we have to say pop culture. Um, yeah. And, like what, what then does culture mean? Yeah, no, I, I get nerdy about this too. Um, so like, I think like pop culture has the connotation that like, um, like tabloids or like magazines or like TMZ. Right. Um, and then I think the word culture itself, like gets deemed as like higher on the totem pole of like, you know, like, as I was saying, like Oscar nominated, nominated movies or like more like niche interests that kind of, or like, reading the New Yorker um, or and like doing the New Yorker cross puzzle. And I think um, the way I think about like pop culture and culture is like, they're basically the same thing, but I think of it as like a totem pole. And so um, at the very top, it's like 
the things you consume, like they speak to you, right? And so, uh, so like a lot of people who like consume culture at the top, they like want to impress people because there's social capital in it. And so, yeah, that would be like Bridgerton or like reading The New Yorker, um, like more like niche things. And then at the bottom, the totem pole would be like reality shows, things that don't like um, require too much like thinking. Um, and I was as I was saying earlier, like there's value in all of that, but like the way people view it as like the higher up you go on the totem pole of like consuming culture or pop culture, mm-hmm. there's like social capital in that. And so a lot of people use that to like leverage like their social standing because it's like, I watch so I watch this and this, I listen to this and this. And so therefore I like am smart or like I like it speaks to you, right? Like as your background. And that was something I learned in college, actually. I remember like one thing that kind of like blew my mind was um like you know, growing up, like when you're with your grandparents, like they watch like Mari or like these like talk shows during the day and or like infomercials. And I always just have like these childhood memories of like going to my grandparents' house or like staying homesick from school and like these like infomercials would be on like for the magic bullet or um or like soap operas. And um I never thought much about it, but in college we were talking about how um like a lot of people who live in like rural America, like middle class Americans, um, who might not like work a work a nine to five, like they consume a lot of this content and it's kind of a way for them to like feel like they have an in on pop culture or like they have like some kind of standing in um, capitalism because they'll watch these infomercials and like be able to buy it. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like I never thought about like infomercials or like shows like Mari um, as like a way for people to have like social standing or like social leverage. And so that kind of helped me realize like no matter where on this totem pole of culture you like consume, like there is value in everything. Um and it gives people like a sense of belonging and a sense of meaning. Um, I'm so glad so, yeah. I hear that because my <laughs> choice of sh- my my choice of shows is probably at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I'm like reality reality TV. Yep, check rom coms. I'm watching all of those. I'm not trying to think outside of my nine to five job. <laughs> no, well that's funny because like when um I first got interviewed for the job at Netflix, yeah. the person who interviewed me was like. It's like, what kind of things do you like to watch? And I was like, I'll be honest. I love like really trashy things and like, like terrible movies. And they're like, great. (laughs) All right. You're hired for the job. Yep. No, I say that too. Cause I mean, I'll read everything and watch everything, but um, yeah, like it's, it's funny when you talk about gendering because I'll say it's trashy rom-coms, but why are they trashy? Right? Like, (laughs) I mean, they're just there. Um, And I think too, like, you know, like um, with shows like, like love is blind, right? As we were saying, I think people can think that's trashy, but also it did start a lot of conversation about like there are like like a South Asian wedding, South Asian parents, um, and just about like how people navigate relationships. And so there's like lessons to be learned in that. Um, I think it's you can watch reality shows and like I think part of why people love reality shows, it's like easy to laugh on people. You get like a sense of like you're better than them because they're being trashy on reality TV, but it's just like a reflection of us. Um, and we're just like cannibalizing ourselves, like consuming what we see ourselves in. But now I'm like, so glad to know that like you say uh, rom-coms and all of these uh, trash reality shows actually have value. So mm-hmm. I don't feel bad about watching them anymore. You should never. <laughs> right. right. Well, because I mean, I think that's, 
yeah, no, it's it's beautiful because you know when we I don't know if if, if y'all like remember uh like my English teachers um were always like oh you know um like the role of an artist is to like uh give society um it, like a commentary on itself right and like like be mirrors for us um but yeah no I I absolutely love that because like if you think about it right like you can take lessons from from everything even mm. um. Tiger King. <laughs> just yes. by the way. <laughs> so like yes, we we are we are next Netflix stands here too. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. Um okay, now I kind of want to pivot um and hearing about how successful your like career has been so far, Philippe, like what kind of support did like, you know, your your family give you? Um because again, you know, our conversation really was about like how do we enter such a like yeah. traditional career right like were your parents for it were they against it like were they like philip you're crazy you ain't gonna make any money like you know because i just to me if i i feel like if i told my parents i'm gonna write for like google or you know for buzzfeed like they'd be like what is that and mm -hmm. how are you gonna make money you know yeah um, <clears throat> what is that what has that been like yeah so i think i've always been lucky where my parents have always been supportive um of like me and all my siblings so like um actually growing up I wanted to be an actor <laughs> and so I think Aww. the support started there because like when I was a kid I would look for auditions and my mom my parents would drive me to auditions and rehearsals growing up Aww. doing theater um and there was like a time in like eighth and ninth grade where I like wanted to be like an actual actor and so um my mom would like take me to LA for like acting classes and my relatives would like Aww pitch and money to like help pay for the cost of that and then just having that very like strong supportive base was really important to me and i know like you know like mon culture right or just like a lot of asian cultures aren't supportive of the arts or like creative fields yeah. and so yeah. i think like having that um that, that like social support or that support as a, as a kid like instilled this sense of like i can do whatever i want almost but also when you think of like media and entertainment, um, kind of like the theme as we were talking about, like there's a lot of gatekeepers and it. it's usually granted to like um, a lot of white people, <laughs> um, a lot yeah, of people who totally. have connections. Right. Um, literally like the whole industry is built on who you know. And yeah. I think coming from the Hmong culture, right? It's like um, we have a lot of like, like successful, like, um, Hmong journalists and people who are in media but I think when it comes to like the pop culture entertainment world there aren't a lot and so I think for me I never really viewed that as like a career path because I'm like I don't you know it's just not my idea was like it's just not granted to to us but I think for me too it was like you know when you're Hmong you think of your family you think of your ancestors it's very communal and how you approach things and I'm like you know, like coming from a Hmong background where we we used to not have a written language and like um like my grandparents can't write or speak English as well. And I'm like, I have the skill, like why not like make a career of it? Um and so I'm like, uh I like when I write, like I write for like my ancestors, I write for like future descendants, and so it's like I don't know, I, I always like have that in, in the back of my mind, but um yeah, it's like 
not always like the easiest field to break into. But I think for me, it was just covering out my own space. I think using my social media to kind of like just get my voice out there. And that's kind of how I was able to connect with other editors or other media outlets. But yeah, I think a lot of it is just, you just have to like forge your own path, which sucks. But um, yeah, yeah, I think coming from like marginalized backgrounds, it's much harder to like find that space for yourself. I I totally hear you. And um, I, I think that was actually one of our other questions too. Like, I love hearing that your family was so supportive. I mean, come over to the West Coast, please. Like, we'd love another, you know, Brenda song. Um, I think we need more of us. But really? like, yeah. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like, these spaces have always been predominantly white. And like, so even though your family was super supportive, like, did you have like, um, supportive networks or people who would vouch for you. And I mean, you said yeah. you, the the editor pinged you on LinkedIn, right? Like how often does that happen? Like, I feel like that never happens, right? So like, what has been your hardest obstacle to, like to date? And like, how are you building your network? You know, how, how yeah. have you overcome that? Yeah, well, so yeah. So like, I think, well, one lesson I learned is like, um, like there will always people be people or like mentors who are like, will look out for you and like want your best interests at heart. And I think for me, like when I didn't get this job at Vulture three years ago, like I thought that was like, I was like, I'm never going to work in media. Like it's just so hard to break into. And she's like, she reached out to me like three years later. Right. And it was like, I remember you like from this interview, like I want you to like be on my team. And I think, um, so like when I think about like other people or like other Hmong folks or people who aren't, who like want to break into these these industries that are hard to break into i'm like you always have to like lend a hand you always have like have to get people that in into the industry because there are just so many gatekeepers side note relatedly curious like if you because you write so much like had um an english teacher who you know really um inspired you to to write um because i mean i know you wanted to be an actor but um obviously like your writing and and your your perspective is also really important and that's why this editor never forgot you <laughs> yeah so yeah i loved my high school english teachers um yeah so what uh i didn't really write in high school but one of my english teachers he was also gay he was like this old gay british man who was like very cranky um people s- were scared of him um and when i was in high school i was still in the closet but i think he like knew uh, that i was also gay and he like like he would like compliment me on my writing and told me that like it was worth worth pursuing. Um, and I also had another English teacher. She was a woman and she was like the first person to tell me that like she enjoyed reading my work and that I should also pursue it. And I think having those two teachers um, like see me and like hear my voice meant a lot. I don't know, like teachers and mentors like have such like, they have like such so much power to like influence people. And I think they don't always know that, but I think just like hearing those words as a young kid who was in the closet, who like was looking for, like I was looking for my voice at the time. And I think like having them tell me that like kind of ushered me into um, the path I'm in today. So. Well, I know that you found your voice. Um, And also I I love that, you know, you say you're, you're writing for your ancestors too. That's just super beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like we owe so much to our high school English teachers. Cause I, I mean, I can relate so much cause I also felt like as, you know, someone who also didn't speak 
English as our first language right away that like mm-hmm. my writing was always really bad. And like, it was always our English teachers who were always like, this mm-hmm. is so beautiful. Like great job. You know, even though like to me, I'm like, this is like not that great, but cool. <laughs> thanks. You know? Yeah. Um, and especially, yeah, the note just about writing for your future generations and writing for your ancestors. Like I always, you know, um, I really appreciate when we are, are thinking of those who came before us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like you, like you think about like, um, like the things that we have for, from our ancestors, it's like bandana or like there aren't that many photos or like written records. And so, um, I'm like, I can just write about like reality shows and hopefully in the future, my grandkids can like. <laughs> yes, like that is that. our fun now, right now. Exactly. Yes. That is. Like yeah, about Love is, is Blind. <laughs> that is the cross-stitching we are making. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. Although I want to say, I really did appreciate your piece <clears throat> in the Washington Post after Sunisa won. <laughs> Thank right? you. So yes. good because it wrapped in, you know, the history, the culture, and also was like uplifting this like amazing Hmong woman who's like, forging her own path and, and writing her own legacy for herself also and for us right as a as a culture and people so yeah no thank you yeah that was fun that that was hectic because i think i wrote it in like an hour <laughs> um because like, you know like the the day she won she won at like what like 5 a.m 6 a.m yeah, Tokyo time. <laughs> yeah and so the editor was like can you like turn this out in like an hour and i was like oh shit <laughs> i'm like i yeah so but it was fun and i think um i think i also like look up to Sunni Lee a lot because I'm like you do you do things for your community but also you have to do it for yourself right like when you're from a communal culture it's really easy to like always be selfless but I think it's okay to be selfish sometimes and just like put yourself first um and at the end of the day if you do that like that will like trickle down to your community and it was a fun time (laughs) yeah I I love that um that piece and to connect it to our next questions you know I think with with this pandemic, I feel like it's been very tragic. But also through this pandemic, I think people have started to come to realize like, what is most valuable to them when it comes to careers or when it comes to priorities in their lives. And I've seen some of my friends like leaving their corporate America jobs, their nine to five jobs to start their own businesses or to really explore um, creative paths. So for other Hmong Americans who want to pursue creative and not traditional careers like you, what advice do you have for them if they want to get into that or if they really want to make that that jump? Yeah. Well, I think a big thing too is like um, network and build bridges with people who are also on your own level, right? Like I think when people think of networking or like their next career path, they think of like, I have to like connect with someone who's a higher up. Um and like that's helpful too, but I think a lot of like you know the show Insecure by Issa Rae on HBO. Like, yes, love it. I forget her <laughs> quote, but like when she started that show, like her like her cast and crew were all other Black creatives mm-hmm. who like didn't have experience. They were all new to it, right? And as the show got more successful, like she built her team up. Like they all moved up in the industry because they all came together. And so when I think of like no matter what industry you go into. It's like you have to like team up with people who are also like you to like build each other up because at the end of the day, like you're creating that new generation or that new legacy. Um, and so I, yeah, so I think, I think that's like my biggest thing. And I also think with the pandemic too, right? Like, yeah, like you have to survive, like 
capitalism sucks like at the end of the day yeah. you just have to like pay the bills but i also think also like pursue what you want because like if we've learned anything from the past two years it's also like life is short and yeah. also we're all stuck in the system that doesn't really benefit a lot of people other than like the one percent and so like don't like kill yourself over like your passion i like don't kill yourself over your passion but i think like use it as like fuel to keep going mm-hmm. whether you make your passion your nine to five or not um um, yeah. So before we close off, I do want to provide you an opportunity and all of our co-hosts an opportunity. Do you have any other words of wisdom for our, our listeners? I do feel like this has been such a great conversation, especially talking about very, you know, very non-traditional career paths, but then also such um, a creative uh, workforce to be in as well, especially in this time and age when I think that we're seeing a little bit more diversity on our screen, whether that is through like film or arts or, or whatnot. So um, any yeah. words of wisdom that you have for, for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, I always say like, be loud. <laughs> and like, um, I think the only reason, honestly, one of the only reasons I'm like in my career is like, being a like a Twitter troll or like just like being really dumb on the internet and then like just tweeting whatever I wanted to, but like um, people seeing that and like making connections through that. So it's just like whatever field you're in, just be loud and like do it like unapologetically. Um, Also like don't be afraid to branch out because I think it's really easy to be comfortable or like seek refuge in like your comfort zone. And I think when you really do like, break into whatever field you want to get into i think that's when you kind of have to like step outside of that zone and like branch out i think for me too is like i love like reading other emerging writers work and so like if there are any Hmong people who like want to break into that field or just like need another set of eyes to read things like i'm always happy to like provide like feedback or like insight into that um but yeah i think whatever field you're into like there's a lot of gatekeepers in it but like don't let that intimidate you there will always be people who will be watching out for you as well so oh i love that philippe so if for those who are listening philippe just offered to read your stuff y'all can follow him on twitter he's hilarious um what's your <laughs> handle philippe or or can people find you on the internet can they follow you yeah it's just philippe tau that's just my handle um, I'll tag you that. too. Don't worry about it. I'll tag <laughs> yeah. you also. Um, I love the IG content. That's where, I mean. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I don't tweet as much these days, but I think I still post on IG on IG stories a lot. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah, IG or Twitter. I love it. Worth of wisdom. Well, yeah. listeners, thank you all so much for tuning in to our episode today. Philippe, thank you for coming on to our podcast. We've learned so much about you and just loved and really enjoyed talking to you about your cool job and Netflix and all of your accomplishments, all of the uh, just really lessons learned that we can take when we think about pop culture and the media news entertainment that we consume as well. So just want to thank you for coming on to talk to us today. Um, listeners, if you're new and you, and if you are not following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, please um, follow us. We will have a bunch of new episodes coming up this year and are excited to continue to engage with you all. So thank you and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.